0: Okay, so that first session was, you know, what does the Bible say about sex? This session we're gonna um, jump into sex and our culture. We're gonna talk to you about your teens and their friends. And we're gonna talk to you about social media, and then we're gonna talk to you about um, the oversexualization of our society. But before I do that, I'm gonna do like a, just a quick tell you about the two books that we brought. Okay, you ready? You ready? You ready? You ready? and we're going to finish at 8:30. So if everybody who's like, "Oh, we're going over and now we're going to be late." Listen, I'm a firm believer in finishing on time. Agreed. So, we will finish at 8:30. Um, this is the book that we are talking about Today and Tomorrow, Mom, Dad, What Sex, Giving Your Kids a Gospel-Centered View of Sex and Our Culture, and this came out at the beginning of last year. And then this book, Exploring Grace Together, 40 Devotionals for the Family, uh, this is for younger kids ages 5 to 10, although this you should be reading as well for younger kids, but this is for kids ages 5 to 10. There's a Bible verse. There's a story that a kid those ages might go through, and then it talks about how do you take the gospel and apply it to that situation, and then at the end of each devotional, there are questions that your kids won't answer, but they're there. (laughs) It's just a very easy, great way to get angry at your children if you want to try that. Um, That's there for you. So, these are the books that we brought. Uh, for this weekend, and I will be at the book table and uh, selling them after. Okay, good.
1: Right on. Okay, so. Um, oh, she
0: just said wow. eight forty-five. You Hold should have on, seen everyone. everybody's face. I already like, no. was like, ah.
1: Okay. Um, <laughs> sex and the culture. Uh, this is something that we touched on briefly before, but now we're going to kind of dive into a bit de- uh, more deeply, and. Um, I remember just a few years ago, I was driving with my daughter to school and um, she, we were talking about something that was going on and she said to me, dad, that's just what my friend group does. And I was like, friend group? What the heck is a friend group?
0: That's because Joel doesn't have any friends. I
1: don't, like literally. <laughs> um, like, what's a friend group? And she's like, dad, it's a group of friends. Now, um, how many of you guys watch Planet Earth? Um, Can I see? Okay, how many of you have seen uh, the uh, season two of Planet Earth? Have you seen that? And then have you guys seen the one where they're up in the mountains? And there's like the flamingos? Have you seen that, right? Where like all the flamingos are like walking one way, and then all of a sudden they turn and they walk like the exact opposite way? I was looking for the clip to put it in here. And like, that's the reality of friendships, right? Um, Our kids... Uh, they learn, uh, they learn primarily in the home how moms and dads and families work, but then when they get into their friend group, uh, they begin to understand how to, how to respond to one another, right? Um, how to respond to people of the same sex, how to interact with people of the opposite sex, Um they have these sort of, like my daughter always says it, and I'm going to be a total nerd and this is going to be full, fully cringy to all the, all the teenagers, but um, they have like these squad goals, right, where they're trying to do things together and learn how to live life together. And, you know, I think so often as parents we get freaked out by the friends our kids choose because um, we know friends have a ton of influence over our kids, Um, we understand that. We see that in the biblical storyline. In the first slide, right, it was Jonathan and David and their souls being knit together. Here, we read about um, this beautiful picture of relational dynamics. In Proverbs 18, right, there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, we know that that's fulfilled in Christ, but we also see that in our own friendships, right? There's those friends who are just your friends like always, um, there's, a, there's a guy who literally I could not talk to him for six months, and I know if I called him right now, it would be like we had just talked the day before, right? We have that closeness, that camaraderie. Um, friends, teach us something. You see, the world and the flesh and the devil always war against the spirit's work inside of our kids and inside of us. And friends, especially believing friends, can help at times to provide a check against those things that would draw our teens away um, into sin. So the question is, can teens just be friends, right? this This is one of these things that I run into all the time. I ran into it all the time as a youth pastor. Um, I remember speaking at a retreat up in Montana, and uh, one of the kids there, she was a girl, she's probably 14, she's like, There's this guy, and I just am like best friends with him. Can't we just be friends? And that's a very loaded question, especially as like, a guest uh, speaker, you know? You're like, oh, I don't really know you, I don't know this guy. Um, can we just be friends? You see, attraction is this um, really strange thing, right? Our culture says that when you're attracted to somebody, the way to respond to that attraction is through like physical means, right? Like hugs, kisses, more than that, sex. Our, home, our, our, our kids' hormones tell them uh, to have sex, to respond to their attraction by having sex. The question is, how do you respond to attraction? How do you work through that? We see that so often attraction um, leads to this longing and this desire for fulfillment. Um, whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. You see, this is the beauty of it. In the beginning of this, um, of this, it's like people are saying, like, where uh, the the woman is saying like, where's this water? <laughs> Like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I have this longing to be satisfied. I have this attraction. And yet, as parents, we have this beautiful opportunity to speak this better word into their lives that tells them that sex won't ultimately satisfy them. Sex won't scratch the attraction itch. It just won't. A sex won't fulfill them in the way that they hope to be fulfilled. Kids, I hope you hear that. Sex won't fulfill you. It won't ultimately satisfy you. You know how I know it? Because I keep going back for more. If I was satisfied, I would rest in it. And yet I keep going back for more and more. So, can we just be friends, right? And there's this idea of true beauty. Uh, beauty is so much, and um, there's so much like that's in our culture, especially with things like um, Instagram and, uh, and Snapchat, these social media things that are all about like visual images, right? And you think, I mean, like, you don't even need, I mean, we could go back to just magazines a generation ago, right? And what, what is, what are we told that beauty is, right? We're told that beauty is, like, for women, like, somehow this body that has, like, big boobs and, like, a six-pack and, like, a big butt, and, like, how is that even anatomically, like, possible? Um...
0: If you have enough money, it is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's true. Um, you know, for guys, it's like you can't have, like, an ounce of fat on you. You just have to be ripped. And then you also have to be, like, not just ripped, but you have to be, like, your teenage girl's best friend and be sensitive and kind. Um, you see, physical, physical beauty and attraction are important things. And God's built those into us, right? God created the world, and it was beautiful, and we see that, and we recognize it. Um, God has given us the sense of attraction and longing for another person. They're important things, but they're not everything. Because guys, um, young women who are here, Pretty soon you're going to wake up next to this person who at one point was beautiful, and they just, like, their body's going to have changed. Um, it's just going to happen. Like, it's the laws of nature. Um, it's the way that sin has worked in the world. Um, it changes. So what do we hear? True beauty is. Um, first Peter, do not let your adorning be external, Right? Um, In our culture, we could say like the wearing of skimpy clothes, um, the six-packs, the nice jewelry, that still works, the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You see, this is just it. That kind of beauty that's built like holds in a relationship um i just recently had a massive surgery and uh, my body has changed since i've had that uh, massive surgery i have scars now where i didn't have scars before um and i thought that i knew and loved my wife my wife if you saw her you'd be like dang that guy married up um (laughs) like she is gorgeous um She's beautiful. Um, You know, two kids later, um, her body's changed, right? Um, It wasn't until my wife was serving me in the midst of my uh, complete and utter helplessness to do just basic tasks, basic self-care tasks. It was at that moment when I thought to myself, good Lord, that woman is beautiful. You see, kids, you can get pulled into this idea. You can notice beauty, (laughs) right? You can look at someone and say, wow, that person's beautiful. Um, And yet it's when we see people, like I saw my wife as an image bearer as someone who was in that moment being, being a sort of Christ to me and her laying down her life to serve me in these ways that just, oh, man, um, it was humbling to be served in those ways. It was at that moment that her true beauty showed through. You see, there's really, uh, in this world so often... Uh, Two ways to see people. Um, You can see people as objects for your use or people for you to serve and love. We can notice beauty, but do we see people and we think, this person is just meant to fulfill me? Um, You know, we always get these questions When can I date? When can I start having a boyfriend? When can I start having a girlfriend? Um, We had questions like, I feel like I'm attracted to somebody of my same same sex. Um, Or now, even more prevalent, I feel like God put me in the wrong body. Um, And the culture seeks to affirm those things. And yet, the beauty is there's so much to life, right? This isn't all there is. You see, you can respond to your kid coming to you with those questions, and you can demean your kid. That's just dumb, right? Or, oh, I knew you always had a crush on that person. You know, make them feel weird about it. Oh, I could totally see you guys together and make them feel weird about it. Um, You can belittle them. Why would you ever want to go out with that person? Why would you ever be attracted to that? I mean, come on, look at them, right? And in doing that, you're just being mean. Um, But even more than that, you're not reflecting the way that God treats you. When you come to him with your questions, you see, the beauty of this whole thing is is that as parents, we look back on our lives and we see our friends and the important influence they had on us. And we can see how they've led us astray, and we can see how our own desires have led us in friendships to do things that may or may have not been um, wise we can actually open up our experience to our kids. Uh, Martin Luther said about this, that that everybody in the room already knew the worst thing about him. Um, So he confessed his sins, right? Because everyone in the room knew the worst thing about him. That the nails that hung Christ to the cross jingled in his pockets every day. Um, You see, that kind of freedom, when you know... And you know that your security isn't based in who you are, and everybody already knows the worst thing about you. That kind of security allows you to lead your kids through a difficult conversation about attraction, about beauty, about friendships, and then to lead them to the cross where they see Christ and him crucified. And the way you do that is by reminding yourself that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Um, He looks at us and he says, I've called you my friends. Point your kids to the ultimate friend who alone can satisfy their souls.
0: So uh, not only are we want to talk to you guys about your teen and their friends, and how do you deal with that, and how do you talk to them about it? But uh, social media is huge these days, as she said with her cane.
1: You're so old. <laughs> I
0: know. How do you talk to your, ke- your teens or your kids? How do you engage with them about social media? Proverbs 29, 25 says this, the fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. We want to start out by saying that uh, social media is not inherently good or bad. It's just not. It's a tool that can be used in a really horrible way, and it's a tool that can be used in a good way. See, social media is shaping our teens, though. Uh, And if you think that your kids aren't on social media, or if you've somehow tried to limit their access to social media, listen. Listen or if you have the circle in your home, or if you don't allow your kids to have devices, you just need to be aware (laughs) that your kids can figure out any way to get on social media. I mean, you can can set up all the rules, but you need to be very aware that there are ways around all your rules. And the moment you think you've got it all set up, they're going to figure out something else. So instead of just being like social media is awful, don't go on it. Let's give our kids like a good way to look at social media. See, we have affirmed the love and attention that our kids are after can only be found in Christ. What are your kids looking for when they go onto social media? What are our kids? Lo- what am I looking for <laughs> when I go onto social media? It's to be loved and affirmed. But the false affirmation that our kids get from social media points to a desire that is inside of all of us. This desire to be affirmed, to be loved, is something we can all identify with. And right now, those feelings are being met superficially online. Okay, so our kids, you and I, all have this innate desire to be affirmed and to be loved. And right now, our kids can find that on social media. But listen, for us to look at our kids and say, why would you post that picture? All you want is likes. Like, you do the same thing in different ways. You and I all do this. And a lot of times, we actually do it using our kids. You know, like, look at how amazing my kid is. Give me the likes. Right? It's crazy. And then when our kids do it, we're like, what's your problem? It's like, they're watching you. Okay. They're watching me. So what we need to do is give our kids the love the affirmation that they're looking for there, they need to find that from us first. So right now, we have unprecedented access into each other's lives. I mean, it's everywhere. You can go and find out what someone had for breakfast. And by the way, my social media handle is, no, I'm joking. You can go and find out anything you want to know about someone by their social media. There is unprecedented access. We're documenting everything we do. And we're hearing everyone's opinion on everything we do. There's like this constant feedback. Is this cool? Or is this cool? What about this? Because like this? This is what's going on all the time. And again, not just with our teens. We do the same thing. And you might, not even, you might be thinking, well, I'm not even on social media. OK, but you do it in real life, OK? So for all of you who are like, I'm not on social media. I'm way above that. You, I promise you, you do this in your real life, too, bringing forward stuff that you've done, because you want to get people to tell you that you're doing a good job. So there's this unprecedented access right now. Hearing your teens are hearing everyone's opinion on everything they do all the time. And they're trying to find their worth in how they look online. Okay? And again, you do the same thing. You try to find your worth in how you look or how your kids look. Let me just for dads who are like, I don't even do that. Like when your son crosses the the touchdown, the line to go into the touchdown, and you stand up, and you're like, that's my son. Okay, you're doing it, okay? When your daughter walks out, and you're like, oh, she's pretty, like as a mom, you're like, oh, my daughter's pretty? Well, of course, because you're doing it, okay? So don't think that you don't do the same things that your teens are doing. We're all looking to find our worth, And your teens are just doing it on social media. But Romans 12.10 says, take delight in honoring each other. What if you just loved on your kids before there was like ever any sort of picture where they they didn't feel like they always had to be running to hear a good word about themselves from Mm. someone else. What if they heard a good word from you? What if that came from you so they didn't have to feel like they were always looking for it somewhere else? See, take delight in honoring each other. Search out things you can validate in your child's life. So you call this being a sin sniffer versus a grace detective. Typically, as parents, we are sin sniffers. We're like, what did you just do? oh, did you have the right motives? Like, even when they do something good, we're like, yeah, but did you have the right motives when you did that? Like, we're always looking below and below and below. I had a mom come up to me once, and she was like, my daughter's been, you know, having devotions every day and reading her Bible, but I don't think she's doing it because she loves God. I'm like, be happy (laughs) that your daughter would even want to pick up a Bible. Are you the type of parent who's a sin sniffer, just constantly like, okay, but that doesn't seem quite right. Yes, you were nice right there, but you could have been nicer. Is this who you are, or are you a grace detective? Are you looking for things in your kids' lives so that you can validate? And not like, hey, you're, the, you're just like the most amazing person ever, but like this, you know what, I saw God work in your life where you wanted to punch someone and you didn't. And we're grateful for God's work. I mean, look for ways to validate God's work in their life. Is this something you do at all? And then we wonder, like, why is my kid always on social media looking for affirmation and love? Because what they get from us most of the time, and like being serious Christian parents, what they get from us most of the time is like, you really probably could have done better there. Instead of, oh, Gosh, I'm so grateful for God's work in your life. Be a grace detective in your kid's life. See, what our kids need is this sense of settled self. That's going to come a lot from home, all right? This sense that everything that they desire, they already have. That who they are isn't dependent on how they perform. Do you tell your kids that message? Who you are isn't based on how you perform. Who you are is a loved child of God. Give them a sense of settled self. Tell them, Jesus gives us the very thing we desire. The very thing you desire, you already have. Everything we require to be settled. His love, his affirmation, his very kingdom. We have all of it because Jesus gave us Himself. See, the settled self is someone who doesn't need to be the most important person in the room. I mean, is that even where you're at? It's not where I'm at. I mean, today we showed up at the airport and Scott had this huge sign. And it was like, welcome, Jessica, in huge letters. And then Joel was like this big. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) exactly. I am the most (laughs) important. I'm most important. Do I walk into a room and I don't have to be the most important person? Do you walk into the room and you don't have to be the most important person? That only comes from being settled in what Christ says about you. And as you are settled in what Christ says about you and the truth of the gospel that you're loved and welcomed and forgiven, that translates into how you treat your kids, Because just like Adam and Eve in the garden, right, the Bible talks about, Joel talked about that earlier, they were naked and unashamed, which I don't understand, but whatever. Naked and unashamed, and then they sin, and immediately what are they trying to do? Cover themselves up. We do the same thing. And a lot of times we cover ourselves up with the way our kids act. Like, ah, I'm I know I'm a broken person, but look at how amazing my kid just did this amazing thing, got an A or did whatever, and now look at me, I'm a better person because of what my kid did. And we're using our kids to build our identity. We're not settled in who we are. You cannot use your kids to build your identity and love them at the same time. You can't use them and love them at the same time. You cannot and so, as you become more aware of your settled self, of who you are in Christ, you can start loving your kids and letting them be who they are in Christ. We want to remember that our maker is our husband. We want to go from consumers, again, Joel talked about this, looking, we just look at other people as people to be used, even our kids. Like, use. Use your kids' good deeds or or a good grade or athletic ability or whatever it is, their, their sense of humor to somehow build who you are. You're using them to somehow build who you are. We want to go from people who use, we consume our kids, to people who affirm our kids. Build a sense of settled self in them. Tell them who they are in Christ we want to teach them that they can find their all in Christ. Christ is all and in all. Everything they're looking for on social media, they already have. Everything. Tell them that. You know, I, I wear glasses and I always put them on my head. And I'm always like, ah, looking around screaming at my kids, where's my glasses? And they're like, on my head? Like the very thing I'm looking for, I have. The very thing your teens are looking for on social media, they have. The very thing you're looking for, you have. It's your maker. It's Christ. So every time your teen goes to social media to find worth, Every time you or I have to read a comment to be affirmed, we must remember that through Jesus, we have already received the most important comment we will ever read or hear. And what does he say to us? He says, It's finished. Everything that you need to do to be pleasing to God is done. You are forgiven. You are loved. If you have faith, you are forgiven. You are loved. You are accepted. You are welcomed. Give your kids that so they don't have to go looking to social media. And again, social media isn't necessarily a bad thing. But we need to make sure that our kids aren't using social media to go look for something they should already have. So give them the gospel.
1: Um, I get to talk about like even more awkward stuff. Over-sexualization. Um, we have uh, now, every one of us in our in our pockets, we have a device um, that we can go straight to pornography on. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, you have to like, like when I was a kid, you had to find, um, like stumble across that sort of stuff. Uh, find it in someone else's dad's room, find it on the street, find it somewhere. Um, and this over uh, oversexualization, this access to pornography, really has begun to distance uh, relationships with our kids. Um, it's begun to make them uh, not have to, not feel like they need to have a flesh and blood relationship with someone. Um, to feel like they're fulfilled. Um, This exposure um, to pornography is happening at a younger and younger age. Like Jessica said, um, you may think that by putting up the circle in your house, um, by putting things like covenant eyes on your computers, um, that that's going to kind of like stop uh, what's going on. Uh, The funny thing about kids is they're far better at using computers than we are. Um, They're exposed at a younger and younger age, whether it's through their own going and searching it out, or it's through a friend um, who shows them something, or or it's through a project at school, um, and they type in a word like mothers. And then, you know, next thing they see is... Um, things that they shouldn't be seeing, um, they have this exposure that happens um, earlier and earlier. And you see what um, pornography does is pornography makes a human being into an object. Um, this Objectification, that's what it is. Uh, porn places um, the emphasis on the size and the use of certain body parts. And it cuts people off from the flesh and blood of relationships. Um, And if that's... If pornography is where our our teens learn about sex, right, they're going to begin to see the opposite sex as objects. Um... And they're going to look at themselves as deficient. You see, and this doesn't just happen with, uh, with pornography. I mean, quite frankly, the sad thing is this happens in the church as well. Um, this happens when we have pastors who, who preach about uh, women having to, like, get uh, surgery to augment their bodies so that they'll please their husbands. Um, it happens when we have pastors who say that women, wives need to do whatever their husbands want them to do uh, sexually so that they'll be fulfilled. Um, it happens in churches uh, where, where pastors uh, out of fear um, begin to let uh, sexual abuse run rampant in their church. Um, this idea of objectification, and it's, it's dehumanizing our teens. It's dehumanizing other people. Uh, you know, the funny thing about dehumanization is that's the very... Um, uh, so often the progression goes from um, dehumanization to oppression. Um, you know, it's awfully easy to oppress something that's not a human being... And you don't even have to look that far into history to see that happening. I mean, we saw that with, uh, with uh, Adolf Hitler and the Jews. We saw that with um, Americans and, and, and uh, the black slaves. Um, we saw that with Americans and um, people of, of Asian descent. Um, you see, you turn somebody into something that's not a human being, And then you can begin to use it for your own ends. Um, We see this just rampantly in the idea of sex trafficking. Where we live right now in San Diego, um, San Diego, not even because of its proximity to Mexico. I mean, like, literally this is happening in San Diego um, with San Diego teens. Um, San Diego is one of the, I think it's the eighth. Um, the second. or the second uh, maybe it's gone up since the last time I looked at the statistics um, it's the second um, uh, biggest uh, uh, like purveyor of sex trafficking um, and you know so often in the church we ignore this sort of stuff uh, you know there's a lot of studies and a lot of statistics that say that people who, uh, who participate in making pornography, um, these people, uh, m- much of the time, are people who have been trafficked sexually. Um, these, pe- these are people who aren't there like choosing that as their lifestyle. Um, they've gotten into uh, some form of debt. Um, they have a-, a pimp or a pusher who will get them addicted to drugs And then we'll force them into these terrible acts and then videotape it and then sell it on the internet or put it up on the internet and tell the kid, um, typically it's a kid, um, typically these are uh, pre-20 folks. Sorry if that puts you into the kid category. Um, But they'll tell them if you say anything about this, if you go to the police, I'm gonna send this to all your friends and family. Um, objectification, dehumanizing, trafficking, but it doesn't only do that, right? Not only are we, um, participating in that whole system when we do things like, um, expose ourselves or our kids expose themselves to this oversexualization. sexualization um, There's also distancing of relationships. Uh, there was a recent article that came out in the Telegraph, and it was uh, titled, Why Teenagers' uh, Obsession with Porn is Creating a Generation of 20-Year-Old Virgins. Right? And usually, like, if you were hearing about abstinence from sex, right, you're like, hooray! Like, good thing, except for, right, they're just diving right into this world of pornography. Um, You see, porn normalizes loneliness, and it makes isolation easy. Um, So what do we do with it? We have to present our kids. um, We need to tell them the truth about all of that and then present to them the loveliness of Christ. I hope you're hearing a theme that's kind of like racing through this whole presentation. We need to give them the loveliness of Christ. Psalm 27, one thing I've asked of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, it's this sort of thing, this being... um, Enraptured by the beauty of something else that actually gives our kids and ourselves the ability to practice self-control. The Spirit's fruit of self-control is what counters sensuality. The Holy Spirit's fruit of self-control is not the anguished self-denial of living with unmet desires. Biblical self-control is rooted in the fact that God has better things prepared for his people in sexual relations than we can possibly imagine. You see, this idea of self-control opens up a whole world of beauty, of fulfillment, of love. So... um. How do we encourage our kids to fight against a world um, that pushes this oversexualization and objectification? How do we meet that? Um, one way, we introduce them to Christ. Like we just said, we show them the loveliness of Christ, and then we introduce them to these image bearers. Um, these image bearers who are there. You see, it may look like a 2D image, but there's a human being on the other side of that camera, a human being who's been created in the image of God, um, whose life is being wrecked by what's happening. We need to introduce them to that person. We need to talk about it, call it what it is. And then bring our kids to the cross. And so dads, here's my word for you. Uh, First of all, dad, if you're a dad who's here and you're addicted to pornography, um, please, fathers, go get help. Um, Like we said earlier, um, your pastor, he already knows the worst thing about you. (laughs) Um, There's nothing worse than nailing the sinless one to the cross. Um, Go to them. Find help. There's hope. There really is. Teenagers, if you're here and you're addicted to pornography, go talk to people about it. Find help. Talk to your parents. Talk to your pastors. Parents, that means you need to be vulnerable. And you need to be willing to hear that from your child and see that for what it is. It's not a sin against you primarily. It's primarily a sin against God. Lead your sons, lead your daughters to Christ. Second thing, dad, if all you're doing is affirming your daughters, if you're a dad here and you have a daughter, and all you're doing is affirming your daughters um, by how they look, um, then let me encourage you dads, expand your horizons some. Um, I found myself for a long time saying, oh, honey, I have a beautiful daughter. And she's gorgeous, and I would tell her that. Honey, you look beautiful today. And then she would come out looking bedraggled, right? And you see, tell your daughters, tell your sons, man, I really see Jesus in you in these ways. You're, You're beautiful, not because of the looks that you have, or your performance in school, or your performance in sports, you're beautiful because Jesus has made you beautiful. You're beautiful. And then expand your horizon some. Honey, I'm so proud of the fact that you're such a creative human being. In that way, you're acting just like your father who created the world. Sweetie, Like I'm so happy that you love to play music. In that way, you're being like your father who created things that sing. Dads, dig into this stuff with your kids. Have real conversations with your sons. Be open. Be open. You're a man. Everybody here knows that you struggled with lust at least once in your life. Um, Be open with your sons. Don't tell them the nitty-gritty details. You don't need to do that. But be open with them. And lead them to Christ.
0: Yeah, and moms, I mean, we can talk about dads being addicted to pornography, but it is becoming more and more prevalent that women are as well. I mean, everybody's looking for the same thing, right? So women, moms, if that is you, seek help. If it's not you and you see other people in your life that it is them, remember the forgiveness of Christ over your own life and extend that forgiveness. Talk about the beauty of Christ to your kids. We talked about your, your kids looking for friends and, and trying to find this, this friend, all these friends to affirm them and to love them. Tell them they have it in Christ. Talk to your, talk to your kids about how you've struggled in friendships. Right? We're so afraid to confess our sins to our kids. There's no reason to be afraid. Okay. You know when a kid eats a purple popsicle and it's like purple on their face and their teeth are purple and their tongue is purple and you're like, did you have a purple popsicle? And the kid's like, no. Okay, that's you when you act like you don't have any problems with your friendships, when you don't have any problems with looking for affirmation, when you don't have any problems with using people sexually. That is you when you act like that. It's all over your face. Okay? So The only reason we don't confess is because we don't believe we're forgiven. So moms, hear this word. You're forgiven. For every time you've looked to a friend to fulfill what you already have in Christ, you're forgiven. For every time you've used your kids to build your identity, you're forgiven. For every time you've used other people to get love and affection that you already have, you're forgiven. So, take that forgiveness and give it to your kids. Tell them Jesus is better. That's our mantra to our kids. He's better, he's better, he's better. He's better than everything you're looking for. You already have it. So, as we go tonight and as you go home tonight, let that sink in for a few, moms and dads. Remember that good word you're loved, you're forgiven. And also for every way you've screwed up this sex talk already with your kids, or you've ignored them, or whatever you've done, and we're going to talk a lot about this tomorrow. But go home tonight and hear it too. You're forgiven. You're loved. Rejoice in the goodness of a good father who takes sexually broken, screwed up people and transforms them into his children. Do you want to pray? Okay. So, Heavenly Father, convince us of that. I mean, I say that, and I think, but what about, you can't really use that. But you do. Not only do you use it, but you put it in your genealogy, you put it in your words so we can see. All the things that bring us shame, you say, no, come into the light, you're forgiven and loved, convince us. And then help us to share that good message with our kids. Help us not to shy away because of our own sin or because of the things that have been done to us, but help us to walk in the light and by your Holy Spirit, give us the right words and the courage. In your son's name, amen.